The Medical College of Wisconsin Office of Student Health and Wellness presents Well, 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 where each episode a very special guest and I discuss what it means to be well in the world of health science education. Hi everyone, welcome to this episode of Well, Well, Well. Excited for today's episode is actually the first episode of our Failure Share series. Uh, within this series, we will have a staff member or faculty member or student share a time that they had a setback or a failure and how they overcame it and how they view it now and what advice they would give to others in the face of failure. So our first guest is Dr. Teresa Patitucci. She's a full-time educator in the Department of Cell Biology, Neurobiology, and Anatomy, where her focus is on teaching the anatomical sciences to students in the graduate and medical schools. In addition to anatomy, she is passionate about well-being and creative expression. I hope that you all enjoy this episode. Be well. Thank you so much for being here, Teresa. I always like to get us started by asking our special guest, what's one way that you've been promoting your wellness or taking care of yourself recently? Um, thanks for having me, Carrie. I'm really excited to be here. So one thing I've been doing lately is I've kind of made like a little game for myself. <laughs> I've yeah. noticed that a lot of like my wellness norms that usually kind of keep me centered, <laughs> I, I have really fallen off during the pandemic and through taking on different roles at work and just life has been stressful. So a lot of those things have kind of fallen to the wayside. So I've made a little game for myself where I give myself um, self-compassion points. And so I have like a list of things um, that are pretty basic, like just, you know, remembering to take my pill um, or eating lunch in a day. And I get a point for each of those things. And so I have like a, a list of, you know, 10 to 12 things, but I just have to get three points in a day or I aim to get three points in a day. You know, I'm not like beating myself up about it. If I'm not getting three, that's kind of not the point. And that's just kind of helped me pay attention to making sure I get in some of those really important foundational things, reintroduce them into my routine. I love that so much. And I know I have told you this previously, but I feel like every Every conversation I have with students or presentation that I do, self-compassion makes up a huge part of that. So anyone listening who has met with me, they know self-compassion is one of those things that I just love talking about and (laughs) talking about how to practice self-compassion. And it makes me think, too, I know there's um, literature out there right now about the gamification, basically, of like wellness, right? Like this, like you said, make it a little game. So this idea of like, taking a more creative approach, especially if things have felt kind of, I don't know, stale or, you know, you've struggled to hit those, those smaller um, things throughout the day. And so I love this idea, right. Of like gamifying it. Yeah. I think that applies to a lot of areas of life that are maybe kind of unpleasant or sort of a slog is, you know, you can make them fun. Um, Mm -hmm. I think about this a lot with education too, of like, it could be more fun, you know, we Mm -hmm. don't. um, So gamifying that too, I guess. Yeah, Um, love that. (laughs) But yeah, I've been on a self-compassion kick lately too. I I think last time we talked, um, I found this person named Kristen Neff and she's talked about these two arms of self-compassion. It's like tender self-compassion and this fierce self-compassion because like people think of self-compassion as just like, letting yourself off the hook for everything and not holding yourself accountable. 
but there's the like she sees this like tender side that's you know like oh it's okay you know everybody fails everybody gets disappointed um and really you know comforting yourself or talking to yourself like you would talk to a friend but just like you would talk to a friend there's this like actionable side and that's the like fierce self-compassion of like okay well that was really unpleasant i don't want that to happen again how do i what what actions can i take to make sure that i'm protected in the future or um you know telling someone they crossed my boundary or whatever it is. Yes. I love that. And I think you're right. I think that's why some people may scoff at self-compassion a little bit, thinking that it is just this idea of being easy on yourself, letting yourself off the hook, that it's sort of like resignation. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And so just a reminder that, yeah, self-compassion is not synonymous with resignation. No, (laughs) it's also, there's a lot of growth involved as well. Yeah. It's standing up for yourself and also setting yourself up for future successes, you know? Mm-hmm. So Teresa is here with us today. She is so graciously um, going to share her story with us that includes some past setbacks um, and just the her journey basically to the remarkable role that she fills today. So again, Teresa, like not just thank you for being here, but thank you for being here and, and being vulnerable and sharing your story with us. I'm really excited about getting this failure share series started. Um, and you're our first episode. And so we will just start, we'll dive right in with <laughs> how did you fail? What happened? Oh. What happened? I'm so nervous to share this story with this audience, but I think it's like just the right audience for it. (sighs) Okay. So we're going to rewind to like, you know, high school, college me, and I'm, I'm not that old, I guess. So that's, it's over, you know, certainly over a decade now. So I have enough hindsight, which I think is what makes this story like worth sharing. Um, But in high school and college, so from like 16 to 22 or whatever, everything about me is I just wanted to be a physician. I wanted to be a surgeon specifically. And I did like everything to move my life towards that goal. I volunteered at, you know, various places in in different hospitals when I was in high school and got my CNA license and worked as a CNA throughout college. And I volunteered, (laughs) I shadowed, I did research, I ran a service project. I did all of the things, right? Like, yes. Um, And I think a lot of our students, whether they're med students or grad students or pharmacy students or whatever, can can relate to that just like constant, I don't want to say cloud over you, but like sort of Damocles almost of like you have to do everything to stand out, right? Like, Mm -hmm. um, so like I, you know, I agonized over my personal statement and I studied for the MCAT and all of those things. I also like asked a lot of people for advice. Um, and as we'll, we'll talk about later, I, I didn't ask the right people for advice. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I took a lot of advice and was just very nervous about like presenting this particular person, like getting it right, being perfect for the application, I guess. Right, so this right. idea of perfectionism, you know, um, which is which is something I've just struggled with in other areas too. So it's not super surprising for me. So I interviewed and I, <laughs> I felt like pretty horrible about it. But I was like, you know, maybe it, maybe it went better than I think it did. Whatever. Sure. Um, but then the rejection letter came, and like it just felt 
like all my hopes and dreams and hard work just like popped like a bubble you know what a bubble's like floating in front Mm -hmm. of you and you're like oh Mm -hmm. hooray and it's just like and it's gone right why am I not good enough you know and that was a huge question I was also a little bit relieved though and I was like okay that all of these emotions are important um and they're too big to (laughs) deal with right now you know like Mm -hmm. it's gonna take time to sort them out but gosh like Carrie, you remember being in like your early 20s where Mm -hmm. there's no, you haven't collected enough of those stories to know that things can be okay. And so you're just like, what in the actual world am I going to do now? And I realized that so much of like the despair I was feeling or sadness was like embarrassment. Um, You know, I was sad for myself. But also I was like, I felt like I was disappointing people. You know, I was like, what are my parents going to think? And and not that they were ever pushing me down this road at all. They were supportive, but like my parents, nobody in my family are are physicians. And they were, again, super supportive of me. But that that drive was not coming from them at all. And, um, you know, they were like, honey, you're going to be okay. You'll find something else or you'll apply again. You know, like this was not a problem with them, but I just was like, oh my gosh. And again, it was like part of my identity, you know, like I was going to be, right. <laughs> I was going to be a doctor. I was going to be a surgeon. Um, the, co- the complexity, I think of the emotions is <laughs> yes. so relatable, right? Like I, I, um, didn't get into the, my top choice for graduate school. And when oh. you were just explaining, I was sad and angry. Like I remember crying and out loud though, you know, the angry, yeah. Like what, why not me? I did all these things. Yeah. Right. And so just the complexity of it, there's so many emotions. I think when we, as you said, putting your eggs in one basket, but just like when something envelops us so much, becomes part of our identity and it doesn't work out. I mean, it really just bleeds into, like you said, even though your parents were supportive, still feeling like they would be disappointed. I mean, it just bleeds into everything and it's so hard to kind of pick it all apart and process. And mm-hmm. what if I'm like, if I can't succeed at this, that I've put my heart and soul into like, what can I ever do? Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So what did you do next? I guess, how did you, how do you feel like you gave yourself space to (laughs) detangle all of that and, and take steps forward? Yeah. I think the multiple emotions piece is so important because like Mm. often we're like, Hey, how are you feeling today? And I almost never have just one, you know, there's something that's dominant, but usually if I'm looking at that wheel, I'm like, well, especially if it's something big, I'm like, I have this one and I have this one and this one and this one. And it's just, you know, I think it, it, I think it adds to that just like feeling so destabilized when you're going through something big like that or facing a really big failure is that you can't even identify how you're feeling because it kind of like bounces around like a pinball. Yes. So I gave myself like a year to reset. So by this point, I had graduated from college. I was working in um, a research lab and we were developing diagnostic tests. So PCR-based diagnostic tests for influenza subtyping. I was seeing that there were other ways to help people through science. 
And that was really my goal. I, I had really struggled writing my personal statement because I could not articulate why I wanted to be a physician. There were lots of things in there of, you know, I'm curious about how the body is structured. Like I want to know everything about it. I want to work with people. I want to help support people when they're going through something difficult. But why do that through medicine? And so I was seeing, you know, firsthand all of these other ways that you could actually help someone or, or apply those same things to science in other ways besides like direct patient care. Um, and funny enough, it was my first experience with the pandemic. Um, we were the lab that got all of the swine flu samples. <laughs> so we wow. developed the test and we're running all of those tests. And, um, you know, I was just seeing this kind of like other side of healthcare of like, hey, it's really crucial that we're getting all of these results to physicians and uh, designing accurate, sensitive tests. And I was finding I was really enjoying training people who were coming into the lab. And so, you know, I was just finding this kind of other path. And so, over that year, because um, people were like, well, what are you going to do now? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm giving, you know, I'll ask myself that question again in a year. And so yes. <clears throat> by the time that year was up then, um, I was really settled into that role in the lab and I was really liking it. And like I said, I'm, I was finding interest in research and in training. And so I I wanted more kind of like a uh, control over my career than being a technician forever, um, where you're kind of at the mercy of what other people want to study. So whether I wanted to do research or teaching, I needed a PhD. So um, I applied to grad school, <clears throat> had a much better experience with that full application process, I guess. Sure. Um, <laughs> I realize a lot of the listeners are going to be med students, but for those who don't know, the medical school application process is particularly grueling and completely asinine, to be honest. It's just, <laughs> it's unnecessarily painful. And oh. <laughs> it's just, so after that, applying to grad school, I was just kind of like, okay. And I had experience in the lab. I had also worked in a lab in, in undergrad. So I had a lot to talk about and it just like went a lot better. So uh, clearly I'm a PhD now. I, d I did go to right. grad school. <laughs> yes. um, spoiler alert, uh, yeah. I did get my PhD. <laughs> Um, and so did I, you feel more confident during that application process too? And in like interviewing, I mean, did oh gosh. your, your ability to just, like you said, you had so much to say, did that really come out in the emotional process of it? Yes. Yeah. I was just a lot more confident in my skills and myself during the med school process. There's so much advice and I'm not sure if any of the listeners can relate to this, but like so much advice about what you sh how you should present yourself. I remember one person who was a, a physician, actually, a practicing physician, and they were like, I was asking them for advice, and they said, med school is a club. You need to look like you belong. Wow. And, um, right? Got no it. pressure. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, present day me is like, it's like, oh my God, cringe all right. day. You be, know? A different, be a different person. <laughs> yeah, pretend you're not you. Great. Okay. Um, and I mean, you've, you've met me, you've seen me in person. Like I have a couple tattoos. I have like an undercut. I'm kind of like artistic alternative a little bit 
kind sure. of person. If you get accepted on the basis of you being someone else, you're never going to be comfortable in that environment because right. you're going to worry that someone's going to find you out all the time. Great point. Well, and also now as an educator, I think about how insanely damaging that ad- advice is because like for me to quote unquote, look like I belong, all I needed to do was like put on a suit, um, take out my eyebrow ring and like, you know, make sure to wear my hair down instead of in a ponytail. But like, I'm, you know, how would that, how would that feel for a lot of our URM students who are applying? That advice is not, I don't know. I I just think it's horrible. (laughs) Right. Right. Yes. No, um, I agree with you. So I think that kind of gets into this. I know you mentioned your hindsight earlier, right? Like this idea that like now looking back, <laughs> you understand things so much more clearly and you can see, as you said, for one of the examples was getting advice from the wrong people, right? Like people mm-hmm. not really giving the best advice and skewing sort of the way you approached it all. So Tell us a little bit more about like, what do you notice about this experience now and how have you come to understand it? Um, I did not present my strengths. Um, so I think from this experience, you, you know, like my grad school interview and, and whatnot was just a much more like authentic experience. Um, I... The personal statement and stuff flowed better. I wasn't so scared. And what I had that I think was different was, I guess, a little bit more comfortable uh, comfort with myself as an adult and uh, identifying my strengths. So, you know, I saw, I think the, the med school process or during that process, I was so focused on all my weaknesses because I think it just kind of fans that flame like the process just does. But in just like working in a lab and working with other people outside of the classroom and stuff, I could really see what I did well. You know, I'm really organized. I'm a creative problem solver. I'm good at training people and that I can, and like writing protocols and stuff. So I guess like communicating information clearly, all of those things really apply to my current job too, you know? Mm -hmm. But I saw that those were valuable in the workplace and that those were skills that not other people had. And so many other skills are valuable, but it takes a team of people, right, with a varied skill set to, to make a really, to make an environment flourish, right? So I could, I could see what I could bring to a team and what I could bring to science. I just kind of like kept my eyes peeled <laughs> throughout grad school for, for something that would like really make me excited. Um, I was interested in so many things, but nothing that I was like, that, that specific thing is what I want to spend my life doing. Um, until there was a day that like a coworker was like, I wish I knew anything about anatomy. There were so many anatomy postings for faculty positions. And, um, I was like, Oh my God, that's it. That's the thing. It's <laughs> <laughs> what I've been waiting for. Yes. <laughs> Oh my God. I can't even tell you. Like, I just remember I have like this vivid picture in my mind of like exactly where I was sitting in my grad school lab. And like my heart like leapt out of my chest because in, even in my personal statement. So, you know, you asked about 20, like hindsight being 2020. Um, well, as faculty now, like looking back on things, like I totally tanked my interview. I just totally did. 
Um, and my personal statement, which I found, and it's so funny because I now advise people on writing personal statements, I would have told myself to just start over. Um, right. It didn't highlight any of my accomplishments at all. Like all of those things that I was like, I did all of this work. I'm like, where was that in my personal statement? Wow. Nowhere. Um, but do you know what I did talk about in my personal statement? Is how much I love dissection. So... <laughs> How affirming, how affirming, right? Not that you, not that you probably needed that affirmation. It sounds like you're pretty, you know, confident where you're at, but yeah, how affirming. That's yeah. amazing. I mean, like in undergrad and stuff, I had thought about, you know, do I want to be an, an educator? You know, do I want to get my PhD and teach? And you know, I was like, oh, anatomy would be awesome. But to me, I was like, nobody can get those roles. They're so competitive. To me, in my mind, it was more competitive than becoming like a cardiothoracic surgeon was becoming an anatomy teacher. Right. <laughs> so, like when he said that, I was just like, "What?" Um, so I approached, you know, our our medical school faculty who were teaching the anatomy courses, and I was like, "Hey, I have some experience in this. I had taken a cadaver-based anatomy course in college. I was like, I'm interested in." you know, learning more about anatomy education, like, can I, is there some opportunity here? And they just kind of like welcomed me in and I got to start shadowing people and helping out in the lab. And I just loved it. And then the timing worked out where right after I graduated, they were starting the central Wisconsin campus. And so right after I graduated, I went up to central Wisconsin to start their anatomy program at their campus in 2016. And I just loved it. But, you know, that experience was so cool and very affirming that I had found what I loved. But holy cow, did it tweak a nerve for me, you know, in regards to this failure. Um, sure. I, so I had just graduated. I was not used to people calling me doctor anything. Um, I was responsible for starting this program. And, uh, you know, a lot of my students were, like, even older than me. And so mm -hmm. I was like... And they were, you know, by definition, doing a thing, and I was supposed to be training them in a thing that I, by definition, couldn't do. Do you know what I mean? Like, right, right. Um, and so the imposter syndrome was just kind of running wild. And uh, a, an additional layer is that <clears throat> someone I worked with there had actually interviewed me for med school. And so it was just kind of like a daily reminder of like, this wasn't a secret that I could just keep to myself, this failure, right, you know, right. I like, I don't know. I just, I found this thing that I loved. It suits me. It allows me to use my strengths. I still get, you know, I get to work with people. I get to work with the students. I find it so rewarding to work with students. And I think having this failure and seeing how things can turn out, because like I found something that really... I think suits me even better than being a practitioner would have, you know? Right. Um, exactly. It scratches the itch of wanting to know, wanting to know all the things, you know? Yeah. I want yeah. to know like how the cells are arranged. I want to know about all those like nerves and vessels and muscles in your body. And, um, it you really know. seems like you so like lovingly giving yourself that year was so crucial for you to conceptualize something outside of medicine, right? Like this idea that like, I have to broaden my world now Yeah. and how much freedom that gave you. Like you said, when you, when you applied for graduate school, you weren't so tied to that outcome. 
It didn't feel like this, you know, if it didn't work out, life was over devastation, right? Like you were starting to recognize these other options and just how freeing that was. And like you said, crisp up sort of who you are as a professional or who you can be as a professional, right? Like where are my strengths very specifically? Um, Yeah. What do I enjoy? What am I good at? Just taking that time was so crucial. Yeah, for sure. Amazing. I think it's, I think it's really hard to make big decisions when you're in the throes of a big emotion. Mm -hmm. So that space is really crucial. Yes. You also, yeah, just needed some time, right. Mm -hmm. From, yeah. To process what you had just been through. Like we were saying, detangling all those emotions and the reaction you had to the rejection letter, which, yeah, yeah, I'm sure took some time. And I think our, you know, this was a really big thing for my life and changed the course of it in a big way. So a year was, you know, I think a good time frame. But we have to, I think, do that for ourselves on a smaller scale when we fail too. You know, when there's something that we're like, oh, I was really excited about that. And that did not go how I expected, like in a negative way, you know, right? to also be like, okay, well, then tomorrow afternoon, I'm just going to curl up with the book. Um, right. And like, it's, I think it's also helpful to identify those things that recharge your battery when you're feeling that way and be able to kind of, I call it my, like my wellness first aid kit. Like, what do I need to pull out right. <laughs> during those times to, you know, what actually helps me um, refocus or like um, sort out all of those threads right. of emotion. I think that's a great point too, because oftentimes what happens when we fail is that we feel the need to double down and just oh, be yeah. gr- grittier and go harder and, um, you know, the never underestimate the power of space and time and just comfort <laughs> being, you know, taking care of yourself. It's both, right? Mm-hmm. You know, where I think that that part of like, all right, I'm gonna, you know, like, what is it? tighten my bootstraps or yeah shoot yeah. oh god <laughs> Whatever. Pull, pull yourself up from your bootstraps yeah. Or, yeah something like that yes but I think it's okay to say like not yet yeah like yeah I'll get there but I need two days to do that you know like I today I need to for whatever it is you know sit on the couch with some ice cream or like go for a long walk or um I don't know, whatever the thing is, my, yeah. my go-to is always like, just tuck myself into the couch like I am a pillow and read a book for yes. a while. <laughs> yes. Just do the thing. You know, everyone has self-care is so individualized and exactly. whatever that thing is for you. Yep. Do the thing. Yeah. For sure. But then, you know, that in the meantime, you can kind of let the like, what do you need next step roll around in your brain? And then mm-hmm. once you're feeling not quite so volatile you can be like, okay, so now what's next? Mm-hmm. And I think it's important too. I often talk to students about just like having trust in yourself. Um, <laughs> you know, many of the students are here because they are high achieving individuals, right? They're not apathetic. They're mm-hmm. not quitters, you know, they're not yeah. all these things. And so if you take a step away, you know, trusting in yourself that I'm not just going to stay away, right, from my life. I'm going, you know, I'm yeah. interested in growth and um, personal development and professional development. And I know I'm going to come back to it. 
You know, I trust myself to do that. Yes. Yeah. Um, I noticed, I learned that lesson. I think this was actually also like towards the end of my first year teaching. One thing I found that really helped me with my anxiety that year was mindfulness meditation. Yeah. And I, I found that to be like, um, cause you're focusing on one thing and I think of it like, you know, you have too many, when, when your computer's frizzing out cause you have too many tabs open and just like closing all the tabs that you're not using. Yes. Um, and it felt really jarring at first. I didn't even realize how busy my brain was all the time until it was quiet and, and I freaked out cause I was like, but I'm going to forget to do everything that I need if it's not, you know, running across the ticker tape of my brain every second of every day. Right. And I learned to, I guess, to trust myself, you know, that it was like, no, no, you wrote that down. You're going to mm-hmm. do it. It will be fine. You don't need to think about that item on your to-do list while you're brushing your teeth. You can just be at home brushing your teeth. Right. You know, like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. What do you, what is sort of just like a a message at the end here, what do you want students to most remember or know about failure? Um, so, you know, (laughs) failure is painful, um, but you can recover over time. Um, so, you know, that pain you can feel that and it's important to feel that because if you just stuff it down, it's going to come back at you in, in some weird way in the future. So right. you can't avoid it. Yes. So face the pain. Um, but also know that like, it doesn't mean your hard work was wasted or that you'll never recover. You know, like um, a lot of those experiences I had in my effort to go to med school are really valuable to me now in my current role. And I couldn't have anticipated that a few years ago. Um, and I've seen all these various stages of the healthcare process. I've seen, I've been in direct patient care. I've been in the diagnostic development process and seen that piece of it. I've seen, um, basic research and how that leads to discovery of mechanisms that lead to treatments. Like, and I can see that that's all important and that does apply to my, my job, but those were really unanticipated, unintentional things. So like, don't think that don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, I guess, and Mm -hmm. be like, you know, this one thing didn't work out, but it doesn't mean that everything else that went with it was just a waste of time. Um, You know, my failure actually led me to one of my greatest loves, which is like getting to come to work and teach all of these students about the body and to like set them up to go out and treat patients. And, um, I can treat them with the same compassion and kindness that I hope that they'll show their patients in the future. And that can be, you know, aside from teaching them again about those muscles and nerves and stuff. Right. (laughs) Hopefully that's something I can kind of like pass along. Uh, I think that's amazing. And such a hopeful message, you know, that (laughs) you can't avoid the failure. You can't avoid the feelings that come with it, but yeah. That I and I love that point about how all of these, you know, whatever you've been working up to, those experiences can lead to another place, right? These unintentional sort of um, how they can connect elsewhere. Mm-hmm. 
And yeah. if, if students are so inspired by this conversation and they want to um, connect with you, where can students find you or how can students reach you? Um, they can email me at T-P-A-T-I-T-U-C at mcw.edu. Um, or you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at, at Dr. Rabbit Heart. Um, and I post my artwork there um, and sometimes pictures of my dog. <laughs> Very cool. Love that. <laughs> oh, pictures of the dog. The artwork is great too, but <laughs> I'm uh, priority. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you again so much, Teresa. I think this was really awesome. I really enjoyed our conversation. And again, the, you know, not just you being here, but you being here and being vulnerable and sharing this with students. I have no doubt that students aren't going to find some value and comfort in this episode. So I appreciate you and thank you so 